Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> Talk Recorded live. Hi, we're here with Jennifer Moore. Uh, ModernMedicineLady.com, is that correct? Yes, that is. Awesome. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself real quick, and then we'll get chatting with you about really cool stuff. Sounds like a great idea. As you said, my name is Jennifer Moore, and I'm from ModernMedicineLady.com, and I'm also the creator of the Empathic Woman System. And I work with highly sensitive empathic women who are just picking up way too much energy from the world around them and helping them with intuitive guidance and energy healing and just really showing them how to go from just surviving to thriving in the world. Ooh, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> um, today we're going to be um, learning from you about um, the ancestors and about healing the ancestral line. And as we um, you know, release this podcast into the world, it's almost the time of Samhain or Halloween, which is when the veils between the worlds are quite thin. So what does that mean in terms of um, energies and, and contacting the ancestors? Well, as you were just saying, Samhain is the time when the veil between the worlds is is considered the most thin. And what's really exciting about this, as I imagine most of your, your listeners know, is that this is not just a European tradition or coming from paganism, you know, from, from our ancestors. This is a, a commonality in many different places, we've got Day of the Dead in we've got Day of the Dead in Mexico, and we have All Souls Day in Europe with the Christians. And it is a time when people across this planet believe that the veil between the worlds, which in my experience means that basically the barrier between spirit and form is the most pliable. And the ability to get access to things that we don't always have access to becomes more, more readily available. I also learned a long time ago that it is the time when the portal is open. And one belief that I've heard, I don't know if it's necessarily true, but is that it is the time when those who have crossed over or died within the last year actually cross through. And so it's the time when it is the easiest to move across the, ba- across the barrier, which is why, um, I, I don't know, I certainly noticed that it seems like a time when, when you know, death is, is even more auspicious in some ways because it is easier to cross over to get to sort of a destination. But it's also a time where it is easier to communicate with people who've crossed over and to gain and to be able to send them goodies and send them love and send them energy and do work to support them and potentially to heal wounds that have been going for thousands of years. So when you're talking about this, I'm picturing kind of layers. In other words, like there's our physical reality and then there's a place where they've kind of someone who has crossed over has kind of been 
getting their bearings, and then there's someplace else, maybe another layer above that where they're going to go. So is so the portal is that the portal between these different layers of reality? I guess, yeah. I mean, my my understanding of this is that that sometimes, and I will also say that when it comes to anything <laughs> that is about something I've never personally experienced, all I can do is based on what I've heard, what I've experienced with what I believe to be conversations with people who have crossed over, and um, and just what I understand from reading other people. But I guess what I'd say is, you know, this is my opinion, take what you like and leave the rest. Um, but that what I understand is that there's definitely this period and some people in particular will just kind of hover in this sort of in-between space between this physical world and kind of the, what some people might call heaven, what some people might call the summerlands, what some people might call crossing the rainbow bridge, although most people associate that with pets. Um, but that is this idea of sort of the play, the afterlife that is is the place that that really is for spirit, as opposed to the sort of intermingling that kind of seems to be the in between place. And I mean, even the Buddhists refer, and this may be a not exactly appropriate um, expression or um, use of of the term, but even the Buddhists have the bardos, which are the periods or the places that we have to sort of sort through things in order to cross over to nirvana, to cross over to the place where we, we, we completely step off the karmic wheel and reach enlightenment or step back through and reincarnate again. Yeah, that sounds really good. Like, um, so how, in this time, I mean, what would you say, is an important way or important way you can become more attuned with the ancestors. Like how can we, you know, we know the veil is thin, but even during this time, how can we set ourselves up to be more attuned to our ancestral energy? I love this question. So what I will say is that first off, um, for me, being mindful of the ancestors is a year round experience. And that this is the time where we have the most ease of access to them. And it's a really good time to start cultivating a relationship with our ancestors. And um, one thing that anybody can do is get your old photographs of the people who are from your family who are no longer here and put them in frames. Make copies of them on, you know, I have a bunch of... uh, of tiles that I, you know, that I printed at one of those, like I printed them them on Zazzle.com, but it's like a place where you can just like do sort of customized printing. And I have a bunch of sort of like just, you know, coaster tiles that have pictures of all my ancestors that I have up on an ancestor shrine just because I'm an artist and I like things to look really pretty. But like That's such a cool idea. Yeah. I love that. It's (laughs) really fun and they're very sturdy. Um, Yeah. So and it, and they're a little different than just normal photographs. So there's sort of this like these things are special. These people are in a different place. But I so what I do and one of the things that I recommend is finding a spot where you in your home or in your workspace or something where you can create an ancestor altar or an ancestor shrine. And particularly at Samhain at this time of year, it can be really amazing 
to create really elaborate shrines, and this is something that's done in in um, done in Mexico with Day of the Dead, where people will create these multi-tiered shrines where you have like a big dais on the bottom, and then you'll take like a you know, like even like a coffee table and put that on top and then put another smaller table on top of that and then some kind of little, little you know, box on top of that. And so you have these layer upon layer with like tablecloths and flowers and food and gourds and just all and, and more flowers and more food and tons of pictures of the ancestors and just making this absolutely beautiful place for them to be welcomed to sort of come and reside during this time. And so I highly recommend creating an ancestor shrine. And personally, I have one that's up 20, you know, is basically up 24-7 year round and where I have these ancestors. So it's a way of constantly be constantly thinking about these people. Now, I will say that I think it's very important to add the caveat when you're inviting your ancestors to come, that you let them know that they are invited to come good and clean. Now, this is something that I originally learned from Louisa Tisch, who wrote the book Jambalaya, and who was oh, one yeah. of, who is a person who um, has done a lot of work with um, the as uh, through the Aruban tradition, but with the ancestors, and she is a very devoted ancestor worshiper, and. Um, I had the privilege of being at a workshop that she did a long, long, long time ago and was really, but she really stresses this, that if you're going to work with the ancestors, you let them know that they got to sort of, they got to wipe their feet at the door, like that there's a doormat and they're coming in good and clean. And I will also say that in the same way that we get to choose who we have a relationship with in real you know in in living times we get Uh to choose who we have a relationship with when it comes to ancestors and if there's a particularly unsavory ancestor or there's somebody that we have really unfinished business with and we're just like you are not welcome then don't Uh put them up on the ancestor shrine so is this um just your blood ancestors or can you also include your spiritual ancestors oh absolutely anybody And I have personally um, acquired ancestors um, over the over the years. I've acquired people who are the ancestors or beloveds of other people who are just so generous in their spirit and so so forthcoming and wonderful that they are part of my ancestor shrine at this point, as yeah. well as friends. You know, people who yeah. we've known and who have crossed over that we absolutely adore and love. Um, and, uh, and, so ancestor is kind hearing, of a, a broad term for, you know, for that. But really, for me, is, yeah. for me, actually, yeah, that's a really good question. And I guess I'll clarify. For me, ancestor is the term for those who have crossed over, for those mm-hmm. who have died, let's just call a spade a spade, for those yep. who have died, who are who who we have a connection to in some way or another, and some people would say that ancestors are the 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 not so recently dead. I would say that it's probably, you know, that may be where the Samhain, the year and a day kind of idea comes, where it's sort of like they've been they've been through their first Samhain and they're now officially an ancestor. Right. Now, I mean, this isn't arbitrary, but there is sort of that feeling of when somebody's really freshly across, 
that they don't necessarily feel like an ancestor quite yet. Well, and what I was told when my friend, uh, I have a friend who's also named Jen, who um, died about four years ago. And what I was told through a um, polarity therapist friend who who also knew Jen and was in touch with her um, on the other side was that, you know, she's really busy right now. Like when they get there, there's kind of, okay, you have to get oriented to where you are now and what's going on. And so they're kind of busy and they're not really being able to be, you know, there for us as quickly because they have a lot of their own stuff going on. But then once they're kind of oriented and once that Samhain has gone by, you know, they're more available to kind of interact with us if they choose. So <laughs> If they choose, exactly. Yeah. And that's, yeah. something, that's something in my experience um, with the idea of being able to communicate with ancestors is that just because somebody's dead doesn't mean they're going to answer the phone. You know, this idea of... Um, <laughs> Yeah. This idea of like, you know, you go see a medium or you go talk to somebody, you know, that somebody says they can talk to the dead. It's like anybody who, in my personal opinion, is being really honest about it will basically say, I have no idea if this person is going to be willing to talk to us or not. Because just because somebody is dead does not mean they've given up their free will. And as well as sometimes they're on assignments, sometimes there's another place where they need to go. Sometimes there's something else they need to do. The other thing that I've noticed is that um, there are certain people when they die where, they're, where their capacity to be in touch with and communicating with human beings is almost immediate in a way that is different than for other people. So I've had the experience of certain people where it was like they didn't necessarily have to go through so much orientation. Um, and, and in the same way that every single human being's experience is going to be different, I think that, you know, just as our life is different, so is our death. And so um, there are definitely seem to be things that are common, but then there are also exceptions to the rule. Yeah, it seems like if people were, you know, in my experience, if they were accepting of the fact that they were going to die, it seems maybe easier for them to make the transition um, than someone who you know, goes in a car accident or something very sudden, they're probably exactly. very disoriented. <laughs> you know? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And that has been, that, that has certainly been my personal experience is that when, when, um, that people who are aware they're crossing over and are preparing to cross over and are ready to go often have a much smoother or swifter sort of orientation than the people who do not know they do not know what happened to them. And I would say the most challenging is for the people who had some kind of sudden abrupt accident or something where they didn't know what hit them kind of literally and where they are sometimes not even aware they're dead. Um, And that is something where, where if somebody has the facility to communicate with spirit and they're already sort of connecting, the best thing I was taught that you can say to somebody when they appear to be stuck between the worlds or they appear to be stuck here. And mm-hmm. sometimes somebody's stuck because they're attached to some kind of physical thing or there's some kind of unreconciled experience or something that did not get resolved. Or, or in some cases I've seen people who died prematurely and mm-hmm. they are basically sticking around to finish their assignment that they were supposed to be doing in a physical form. Um, Mm -hmm. And in my experience, this is more common when somebody has um, chosen to step off early, um, but it was not necessarily what their, you know, what their their plan was supposed to be. Um, 
so so that that sort of is my my has been my experience but what i was going to say is when somebody appears to be stuck if somebody is is listening to this and you're kind of aware of a spirit that seems to be stuck what i was taught is you tell them to look up because essentially the portal will sort of if they look for it the portal will appear and oh. i don't know if you guys ever watched um dead like me it was a very adorable little TV series that came out, oh, God, you know, it's probably 10 years old or longer now, but it was a bit, it was a series that had, like, Mandy Patinkin in it as, like, sort of, like, the sponsor of all of these dead people who basically, <laughs> like, went around as Grim Reapers. And yep. what I loved about the series was the way they represented the portal was really you know, the way that people crossed over felt really, it felt true to me. Like it felt, it, it resonated to me. I was like, yeah, that, that seems to be what I understand. Cool. I haven't, I'll have yeah. to check that out. I haven't seen it. <laughs> it, it was a Showtime series. It was adorable. It was really, really sweet. Yeah. Little comedy about death. One of my favorite things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, if people who are listening are, empathic and this is the time when the, the veils are thin and there is a lot even more information coming in maybe than usual way more um, information yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of times it's too much information right yeah. what are some mm-hmm. tips or things that listeners can do to kind of manage this well first off i would say that this is going to be sort of a paradox but the first thing i would say is try not to resist it that Sometimes the discomfort, our discomfort about the discomfort can be one of the hardest things to overcome. And what we resist persists, as well as when we're trying to push something away, we're actually putting more energy into it than when we can just accept it. Mm -hmm. So in my experience, the first step is simply just being like, wow, I'm really overwhelmed. This is really, really difficult. And one of the tools that I personally use a lot is using tapping or EFT, emotional freedom technique. This has been one of the most remarkable tools I've ever found. I've been working as a healer for over 30 years, and I have to say this stuff is the bomb. It, it, it is so remarkably effective for rebooting our nervous system and basically getting our whole body to, so, to soothe and calm and de-stress. And on my website, modernmedicinelady.com, as well as on my YouTube channel, Jennifer Moore, Modern Medicine Lady, I have a lot of resources for tapping in EFT because I find it to be incredibly helpful. And the beauty of it is that you can do it yourself. It is not something that you have to go see somebody for, although I will say that if you've got really deep burdock roots that you want to dig up and deal with, working with somebody who is not feeling the feeling can be really helpful. And there are definitely appropriate places for practitioners like yours truly. Um, But it is, it is definitely something you can use. And that is a technique and a tool that I think is very helpful for empaths as well as going outside and walking on the ground, going and hugging trees, making sure that we're getting plenty of sleep, making sure that we are drinking plenty of water and also being really mindful that we are not eating too much Halloween candy because in my personal experience, sugar is one of the most agitating foods we can consume. And sugar is, I've not yet met an empath 
who doesn't get affected by sugar. And Absolutely. <laughs> first thing I ask when I start working with empaths is what's going on for you with your sugar? Are yeah. you eating a lot of sugar? Because the irony of sugar is that it helps us to feel numb and calm and kind of like groovy for the first maybe hour, half, you know, hour and a half, two, three hours. But then it will send us into, uh, it can send us down a black hole and it can really send us into places of, of great anxiousness as well as a lot of despair and sadness and overwhelm and like remarkable fear. For me, sugar makes me see the world through a glass darkly. And I find that to be true for most empaths I know. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can attest to that myself. Yeah. yeah. So stay away from the Halloween candy is what I am saying. <laughs> yeah. nice. There's plenty of good stuff around this time of year to enjoy that doesn't have sugar, too. So Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or, not, or, or more natural sugar than that. <laughs> or more natural sugars, yes, as, yeah. as I'm drinking my coffee that has uh, coconut nectar in it. Yeah. You know, you um, but you know, there's honey, there's coconut nectar, there's maple syrup, there's stevia for that matter. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of different options that can make a really big difference. Now, the good thing is that the ancestors don't seem to have a problem with sugar. So if you want to make, like, cookies or, you know, if you want to put out some candy for the ancestors, and I actually believe that that's where Halloween candy comes from, is that... The offerings. um, The offerings. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because one of the things that the ancestors... Ancestors can't necessarily taste anything, but one of the theories that I've heard in, in my years of being around the ancestor worshiping stuff is that ancestors can smell things. And so that's why things like incense and perfume and um, spirits like alcohol that has sort of like the way that the alcohol evaporates up into the air, it's believed that the ancestors have access to that kind of stuff. So um, candies that smell good, things that smell sweet and delightful, these are the kinds of things that the ancestors have access to. And then, of course, on Samhain, you know, the, the thing that is really, really great is when we prepare a feast for the ancestors, we make their favorite foods, we lay out a plate for them on the ancestor shrine, and we celebrate them with, with their foods, we tell their stories, we talk about them, we make those kinds of connections. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. From that, yeah. go into a little bit more about the healing the ancestral line. Thank you. To hear more you about that. Read yeah. my mind yeah. because that yeah. was exactly where I wanted to go. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the thing is, we are living, I mean, I think everybody who's listening to this podcast is aware of the perilous times we are living in and the fact that, you know, in many ways, we've got these legacies that are coming home to roost. And a lot of the wounds that we are seeing playing out right now are many thousands of years old. And a lot of these wounds, especially, a lot of these wounds started many, many years ago, way back down in the ancestral line. Now, I believe that that regardless of our gender, we are dealing with our ancestral wounds. But what I will say is that I think that there are particularly um, Acute ones. tender wounds in the mother wounds, in the matrilineal line, because of the fact that we have been living in a very, very lethal culture for the, fem- the, for the feminine. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, we have, we have wounds that go back 
down the matrilineal line just simply about being female and about the trauma that so many of our female ancestors endured, not to mention things like so many things we take for granted, like that we can go into, a, you know, that we can have a baby and we're not going to die. Um, all of these things are fairly new that, you know, not losing our children to things like scarlet fever and other kinds of illnesses. All of these things are really new. And so there is a lot of loss. There's a lot of grief. There's a lot of just speaking by in our lines of ancestors. And one of the things that I have found frequently in the ancestral lines is that for many of us, there is this story of struggle. And what I've noticed in doing a lot of work with people about going from surviving to thriving is that one of the things we get to work on is really honoring our ancestors for all of the struggle and the effort and the burdens they've carried to get us to where we are today, but that they don't want us to to remain loyal to their suffering in the sense of that we have to be suffering too. Um, And so one of the ways that we can heal our ancestors is honor them for their struggle, but also release our loyalty to their struggle, start to walk away from this idea that like we have, our life has to be super hard because their life was super hard. So Mm -hmm. I would say Mm -hmm. that that's a very powerful thing that we can all do. That's about acknowledging their effort, thanking them for their effort, expressing gratitude to them for their effort. And that can be done through looking at their pictures and having communications or writing letters or writing stories or, you know, doing a meditation and going back and just saying, thank you so very, very much. I'm really grateful for all that you've done. And now because of what you've given me, I can move forward and do these new things. So that's one aspect of, of something that I think is very powerful in terms of our ability to, to start to heal the legacies of our ancestors. But that's more about healing the legacy. But then there's also going back into the ancestral lines, either through tapping or um, using guided meditation or some other forms of hypnosis or shamanic work, and going backwards into the lines and looking at the original roots, like looking at origin points where events happened that really affected the line. Because one of the things that's amazing is that now scientists are finding and proving that somebody does not have to have ever encountered trauma in order for it to be brought forward in the epigenetic line. And so they did this, they did this um, test with bunnies a number of years or a while ago where they took rabbits and they exposed them to something scary at the same time they exposed them to the smell of, I believe it was either apple blossoms or cherry blossoms. It doesn't really matter, but it was blossoms. And then they ran, you know, they, they took a couple generations later of the same, of the bunnies from the same family line. And these little baby bunnies had never, ever, ever even had any inkling of like they were not connected to, it was like a grandparent that had gone through this. They had never, ever been exposed to any of this stuff. The first time they smelled the blossoms, they had the same fear response 
that the ancestors had. So we carry our wow. ancestors' fear in our body. We carry the legacy. So releasing the fear within our own body is something that will retroactively work. But the other thing is going back into the places where these events happened, where we essentially, somebody, somebody experienced an emotional or physical wound that was, that was great enough to really kind of like put a knot in the ancestral line or dim the light. And that is something that I think is incredibly powerful and important. Yeah. Yeah. And I will also say that unless somebody is a really skilled practitioner and really is comfortable going back into doing, you know, sort of going back in the lines and journeying, that working with a skilled practitioner, working with a good with working with a good hypnotherapist, working with a good EFT practitioner, working with a good shaman, working with somebody who has the facility to be able to help this along is probably not a bad idea. But this is not the only thing we can do. That's great. Did you want to talk about some of the other things we can do? Yes, um, I'd love to. So I wanted to talk about actually, you know, I talked about earlier about setting up ancestor altars and developing and establishing, you know, these connections with our ancestors. Another thing I want to talk about is forgiveness because there is profound power in forgiveness. And one of the things that we can do is we can start by forgiving our ancestors, thanking, you know, gratitude is a good thing with our ancestors, but sometimes before we can get to gratitude, we need to express our forgiveness. And I want to say something about forgiveness first, because one of the things that I've noticed for a lot of people is that they are reticent or resistant to forgiveness because somebody behaved really badly. Somebody did something that was absolutely reprehensible. And my understanding is that forgiveness is about releasing the emotional attachment to the problem, and it's about letting go of the charge on it. It is not about ceasing to hold somebody accountable. Forgiveness of an event that happened is more about, or forgiveness of somebody's, of, of, of just anything is more about being free from it than it is about suddenly saying your debts are completely clear and there is no longer any karmic responsibility for what you've done. If somebody has done something wrong, if somebody did something, you know, behaved in a horrible way, they're going to have to deal with the consequences of that. Our forgiving them does not mean that they're off the hook. It just means that we're off the hook. And, uh-huh. But it, it really loosens and releases stuff in a way that very few other things do. So I think that we can start by practicing acts of forgiveness for, the, for our ancestors. And we can also tune in. Obviously, I believe we need consent if we're going to do, do surrogate work. But we can also do surrogate work on behalf of our ancestors. So that we can do the forgive, we can we can actually be doing the forgiveness work on their on their behalf, as well mm-hmm. as you know some people talk about even doing things like making retribution on behalf of their ancestors when there's something that 
their ancestors did, and they're like, oh, I am very aware of this, and even though I did not do it myself, I could do something to make a difference about this. And, um, you know, I think that's a very personal thing. I think that's something where we all have to really look at our own souls and question, okay, so what is my job? What is my responsibility? I mean, for example, um, I come from a line of my father's side of the family is from the Deep South. I I have no doubt in my mind that I have ancestors that were slave owners. And, you know, I also come from, on the other side, from extremely poor Irish, you know, Irish Catholic immigrants who were fish, mm-hmm. who were dirt poor fishermen. I mean, and everybody comes from all kinds of different lines. But then the question is, okay, so I have ancestors who behaved in a particular way. How can I live my life in a different way that makes, that makes up for the behaviors that my ancestors engaged in? So it could be anything like contributing to Black Lives Matter or, you know, things that, you know, Absolutely. help heal those. Yeah, yeah. ACLU, yeah. Black Lives Matter, yeah. Southern Maine Poverty, yeah. you know, um, yeah, as well as really being aware of, you know, I mean, who would have thought that I would be talking about white privilege in the middle of an ancestor, <laughs> an ancestor right. inter, um, podcast, but being aware of the impact of our lives, the impact of our privilege, and really making making the point of learning how to behave well and learning how yeah. not to recapitulate the same dumb shit that our ancestors <laughs> did. And try to yeah. heal the wounds that our ancestors may have done. Exactly. Healing the wounds that our ancestors made. So we've got all these different levels of healing for the ancestors, we've got healing their wounds. We've got healing the wounds that they've caused. We've got mm-hmm. we've got healing our wounds with them, and you know, forgiving and releasing them. I have an affirmation that I really love to use, and I love to use it with tapping and breathing. And that is simply, I forgive and release the past, and the past forgives and releases me. And just breathing mm-hmm. in, using a breath. So breathing in. And just exhaling and saying, I forgive and release the past, and the past forgives and releases me. And just really letting it go. Um, And just really working with that. And sometimes it means, you know, moving through the rage and sitting with the feelings and just being like, yep, I'm really angry and I'm entitled to be angry. But it's, it's the other part of it is being present with, in my experience, being present with the emotion, not the story. That... Um, it's more about just really allowing the feelings to be what they are without necessarily engaging in telling the story over and over again. Um, And I think most people know, or I don't know if most people know, but I'm imagining you guys know what I'm talking about. It's like you can almost sense when somebody's telling a story from their head versus when they're feeling something in their heart. And I think when it comes to forgiveness and healing, being present in your heart is the way to, to really move through this, not just telling the same story that's been told for, you know, three or four or five or six generations and just, you know, saying the same crap over and over again. Awesome. So I've given really the past. Excuse me? Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. You said something and I just didn't hear that because I was talking. Oh, that's okay. Well, you were saying the affirmation, okay. so I wanted you to say it again. 
Yes, okay. So I forgive and release the past, and the past forgives and releases me. Now, there is another exercise that comes from, that is a Hawaiian prayer, Ho'oponopono, and um, I really love the simplicity of it. I love the beauty of it. In, in Hawaii, it's a little bit more, you know, in the Hawaiian tradition, it's a little bit more elaborate than this because it's about really reconcil- reconciling and bringing peace within community and really bringing people back into right relation. But I, I have found that the prayer itself is incredibly effective and powerful and that if you say it long enough with intention and desire, it is amazing what can happen. And I will say ho'oponopono and, um, and tap as I do it. And so the prayer is not saying ho'oponopono, but the prayer is, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. And my personal version, because I always have to tweak things, is <laughs> I'm sorry, please forgive me. I forgive you. I love you. Thank you. So I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I forgive you. I love you. Thank you. And it can be for ourselves. It can be for an ancestor. It can be for somebody that we're having a hard time with presently. And just basically really taking, you know, breathing it into our hearts, being present with our feelings about it all and just saying it until we crack. And in my experience, usually what happens is there's a point at which you feel the feelings and you can start to feel the compassion and feel the desire for this to not be such a burden anymore. And it is a really, really beautiful, very simple prayer. Now, there's a lot more information out there about the whole ritual and I am, you know, and, and so I would invite people to, if this is interesting to them, to you know, do a little bit more research to learn about about the whole tradition. That's, you've been so awesome. You've really enjoyed your deep conversation about you know healing our ancestral line, figuring out ways that we can let go of the hurts and harms that we've you know gathered in our DNA from our ancestors, and you know releasing them through EFT or or the help of a, a guide. Um, and so we'd really like others to get to know you better and find out ways that they can work with you more. And can you um, tell us more about what you have to offer? Absolutely. I would love to. So I have a number of different things to offer. Um, one thing that I do is I do work with highly sensitive empathic women, and I have a system called the Empathic Woman System. And so, and that's really about learning how to manage being sensitive, being, most of us are psychic, and just really how to go from just basically surviving or constantly putting out fires to really being able to thrive in the world. And if somebody's interested in learning more about that, you can go to my website, modernmedicinelady.com, and there's a section called Work With Me, and you can go there and check it out. In addition, I would love to invite people to come on over to my Facebook page, Modern Medicine Lady, and like my page, I offer daily, I do videos on a daily basis called Word of the Day or Daily Gems because my name is Jennifer Elizabeth Moore. So, hey, isn't that adorable? <laughs> um, and so, um, so I do Daily Gems, and every single day I offer a word that is relevant to what it's like to be living as a highly sensitive, magical, empathic, 
amazing person in the world and how to really be thinking about how do we live better. So I always, I have a topic that's related to something that's usually going on for me and my clients or is going on sort of in a greater level. And then I ask a lot of questions for you to just really think about and consider and, you know, ponder. And that will give you a sense of who I am, the way I operate, the way I think, and see if I feel like a good fit. And then also I've got my web, I've got like a, not sorry, blah, blah, blah. I was going to say there's also my YouTube channel where I have a playlist for EFT if somebody's interested in learning more specifically about EFT. But like I said, come over to my website, modernmedicinelady.com, check out the work with me section, and Mm -hmm. uh, we can go from there. Or if you want to do something really fun and cool, go to empathicwoman.com and take my What's Your Empathic Type quiz to find out where you actually fall on the highly sensitive empathic spectrum. That is totally fun. I've done it, and and I find the, the gems and the word of the day to be really useful and helpful, too. So do check it out. Thank you so much, Jen, for joining us today. You are so welcome. It has really been a pleasure. And I mean, boy, howdy, did we just drive all over the place with this. It was a really <laughs> remarkable podcast. I had no idea that we were going to be covering all of this, but yeah. wow. Oh, yeah. There's so much. <laughs> yeah, very rich. Yeah, I mean, I love I love ancestor work. I've been doing I've been personally doing ancestor work for like thirty something years, and I I just I, I they, they it's the gift that just keeps on giving, and uh-huh. they want. I just want to. I guess if I was there was one thing I would finish by saying is they want to help us. They want to yeah. be of assistance. They and that's the other thing is that this is the time of year where we can reach back and ask them for their help. We can ask for their wisdom. We can ask for their experience, strength, and hope. And we can also ask for them to sort of guide the process and, and direct us towards the El Mundo Bueno, towards the good world. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jennifer. You are so yeah, welcome. Thank you, guys. Thanks. All right. Awesome. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.